Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. Due to years of ear-tickling messages and a lack of enduring sound doctrine, the church is now on a collision course with the strong delusion. Stand by for course correction. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Course Correction Radio Podcast. My name is Trey Harris, and I just want to let you know we will be continuing our study into the parables of Jesus. This week, we will be picking up with number two, uh, that that being the second part, where we left off last week with the parable of the wheat and the tares. This week, we will be picking up... with Joshua going into the promised land to take on the Nephilim tribes. And we we will be going, I believe, up through David, fighting Goliath and getting rid of the other four children of the Philistine and moving on into the assimilation of the Israelite people, the mingling of the Holy Seed with these Nephilim tribes couple of things I address or I talk about but never actually have the time to address is there is a strange fulfillment or not strange as in like wonky but strange as an interesting fulfillment of a verse in Obadiah about the Edomites going into the promised land and persecuting the Israelite people while wow, we're not going to be able to get into that tonight. However, um, I will be trying to post a video of that separately on our YouTube channel at some point. Um, the other thing that I did not have time to go into was a document that talks about the assimilation of the Edomian people into the Judean people. Um, I will be finding that and doing a YouTube video as well on that. So, uh, if you have any questions or comments about the series thus far, please email me at coursecorrectionth, that is all one word, coursecorrectionth at gmail.com. Stay tuned, be blessed, and I will check in with you after this segment is over. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Course Correction Radio. My name is Trey Harris. I am the former pretender, now turned defender of the Christian faith. Tonight, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week with the parable of the wheat and the tares. So, without any further ado, we'll do a quick review. We'll go right into what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, last week, we left off with the righteous seed, that is Abram, coming out of Ur of the Chaldees and going into the promised land. Now, tonight is part three the Nephilim campaigns, the mingling of the seed, and a strange fulfillment of the book of Obadiah. Now we're going to go right into the Nephilim campaigns. And I'm going to share my screen here. Uh, give me just a second, guys. Whoops. Got too much stuff open. Sorry, guys. Um. Now, what did I do with that? There it is. We're going to start off tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're only going to go over a few verses, that being verses 1 and 2. And, as you can see, I am ill-prepared. 
I should have had this ready to go beforehand, and I didn't. So, I am truly sorry, my friends. Now, why isn't this working? See, this is why I like to do this live. That way you guys know that I'm not, I'm, I'm an ordinary guy. There is absolutely nothing special about me, which is actually why I'm going to say before I do anything in this series. I should have said this last week, and I apologize. Don't believe a thing I say. I share these on the screen. That way you can easily search these things out for yourself. Now, hopefully, I can figure out what the heck I'm doing, and we can go from there. Ah, yes, I remember. I'm telling you, they changed this up. Um, and it's a little bit different from the last time I had this stuff, but, I mean, it's still a great software. Now we'll pop that back big again. We're going to read verses Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, which says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, then shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt smite them, sorry, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them sounds a little bit harsh right let's go move right along and go to joshua chapter 6 verse 21 see what that says joshua chapter 6 pop that make it full screen so we can all read it together and let's go down to verse 21 and they utterly destroyed this was in, I believe, Jericho. It's been a while since I actually went and read this over, so I had this ready to go a few days ago. Um, but they went in, and of course, I've lost my place again. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword. Next, we're going to go a couple of chapters over to Joshua chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 24 and go through 26. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness wherein they chased them. And when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was, that all that fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai going to keep going right along here. Joshua chapter 10 verses 36 and 37. Having a little trouble with my mic guys. Sorry. 
And Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him unto Hebron, and they, and they fought against it. And they took it and smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof, and all the cities thereof, and all the souls that were therein. He left nothing remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but destroyed it utterly, and all the souls that were therein. Gonna flip it over one more time. At least I think it's one more. Don't quote me on that. Yes, one more time for the book of Joshua. Alright, we're going to head over to chapter 11. Starting in verse 10. And Joshua at that time turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword. For Hazor before time was the head of all those kingdoms. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was not any left to breathe. And he burnt Hazor with fire, and all the cities of those kings, and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote with the edge of the sword. And he utterly destroyed them, and Moses the servant of the Lord, as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded. Now, that part about Moses the servant of the Lord commanded, that's where we started in Joshua, I mean Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Alright, so we're going to pop that back down because we're going to switch books now. We're actually going to go over to the book of Judges. And we're going to go to chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 4. And an angel of the Lord came un up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers and I said I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land ye shall throw down their altars but ye have not obeyed my voice why have you done this wherefore I also said I will not drive them out from before you but they shall be as thorns in your sides, talking about the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Now see, that's a huge prophecy, because... That just goes to show everything that happens from here on out until the point of the Assyrian exile of the ten northern kingdoms and the exile into Babylon for the southern kingdom of Judah because they did not kick these Nephilim half-breeds out of this land and finish them off completely. It became a curse unto them. You know, kind of like now we're not speaking up for things like you know, the fact that the definition of marriage has been changed in the United States or the fact that we kill millions and millions of babies each and every day and each and every year in the United States and we don't think anything of it. And I'm not one to talk. I've never been to protest outside an abortion clinic. Um, I'm hoping that changes. I really am. Um, not so much the protesting part, but definitely going out there and doing everything I can to get these women the help they need without killing that baby. 
because children are the most precious gift in the world. And this and this really it does go back. You said what does this have to do with a Nephilim religion? Well, the simple fact that one of the gods that it's talking about right here, and their God shall be a snare unto you. What's the one God you see the children of Israel falling into the clutches of every time? That would be the God Molech. And see, Molech was a god that he was like a bronze statue, right? And um, he had a little pan that they would put out. And this is really graphic. Um, this is why my children is not. This is why my channel is not labeled to children because some of the things are graphic here, and I understand parents if you don't want your kids hearing them. So warning right now. Um, they would lay out this statue. They would light a fire in the belly. And it would heat up the arms and they would put the baby on there and just let it roast alive. Why is that significant today? Well, you have things like Bohemian Grove, Epstein's Island, that um, have some indications that this might in fact be the same religion that our, really, our elites in this country practice today. Nothing has changed and the ancient Israelites cannot hold water to the evil that has been done in America in the past 50 to 60 years. And even longer if you think about the things that weren't legalized that were happening. Anyway, I digress. Um, very important to understand that though nothing has changed. What does the Bible say? What has been done will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Um, anyway, and my other screen locked where my outline for this is. Um, so I did want to take a minute to talk about that. Um, this is why God said go into the land and utterly destroy it because these people were committing abominations. They were their own bloodline. They had their own religion and God played no part in it and their religion spit in the very face of the God that we serve. Anyway, let's move on to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this one's going to be a little bit of a long one because... Um, this is a huge failing, you know, and, um, I don't have time to go into all of the horrid, horrid, horrid practices that the Canaanites did. However, you can find, um, just go through and, and read this stuff and look it up for yourself. Like I said, don't believe anything I say and study for yourself. The Bible says to show thyself approved, a workman that is not ashamed. Do the research yourself. Find these things out. This is this is easy, easy stuff to find. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Um, this is something that happened right in the book of Exodus. Samuel goes on to say, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Slay both man and woman and infant and suckling ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Taliam. 200,000 footmen, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. 
And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart. Get you down from among from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For I shewed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Huge, huge mistake. So if you know anything about ancient religions, ancient religions looked at their kings like gods. And so instead of killing this god king and making him an example, what did Saul do? He took the king alive, and he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And I grieved, and it grieved Samuel, and he sprang... Guys, I, I can't read. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel saying Saul came to Carmel and behold he set up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him blessed be thou of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord and Samuel said what meanest thou with the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What, what meaneth then this, the bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have been brought from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Now see how, see how he's turning it and putting it on the people? He doesn't want to take responsibility for his own actions. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Because remember, God had made a promise. If you've read the account in the book of Exodus, God said he would make it to where nobody would remember the name of Amalek. And he was going to use Saul to do that, to be his hand of judgment. But Saul, like we all do, when God tells us to do things, we have a tendency to take our own approach to what God says but God is very specific and this is what he says about that wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord but didst fly upon the soil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord and Saul said unto Samuel yea I have I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things 
which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now keep in mind, Saul is the king of Israel. And what does James say? You know, James says about teachers that they're, and I'm, I get that a king and a teacher are, are, are different, grant you, but I mean, if a teacher is held to a higher judgment, how much more a king and a ruler of people, and he would not take responsibility for his own actions. He keeps blaming the people when he was the one told to go in and utterly destroy everything. These people were under his command, but he refuses to take responsibility for his actions. Verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, and this is really important, this is this is kind of the key ver the key verse to this this passage. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So we're here we are yet again in the Nephilim campaign. So I want to take a minute to sum up um, for anybody who might not be familiar with the book of Joshua. Um, so in Deuteronomy, we have Moses' final speech before he dies to the generation that was to go into the promised land. And he basically tells them, hey, this is what God told the generation before you. This is the law that he has given. And um you're going to go in this land and you need to obey every word. You need to not look at the heathen and worship the way they do, but remember what the Lord your God has commanded. And he even went and told him, he said, but that's not going to happen and you're going to be kicked out of the land. Now, we pick up after Moses died, Joshua becomes the head of the tribes of Israel, their leader, and he goes in and immediately he meets with the commander of the Lord's army. And he has the Lord on his side. He goes in. He takes Jericho. He goes in. Um, I know when he goes into I, I believe it's I, um, we have somebody that didn't listen. And because of that, they lose the battle. They have to stone that man. Now, keep in mind, because you're not to take anything, right? That's, that's what Saul just did. So this isn't the first time this has happened. To see, this happened with a guy named Achan. Achan went in and took a bunch of stuff. And actually buried it underneath his tent. Now see all of this stuff is abominable to God. Because the very the very existence of it spits in his face. See these people were not made in the image of God. That's why they had to utterly be destroyed. Because they're not, they're not a sanctified creature. He did not make them. Yes he allowed them to be around for whatever his plan is and I mean that's what I mean after all that's what the parable of the wheat and the tares is about right that's why he couldn't take them out of the land completely because they have mingled their seed and we'll, we'll get to that I'm getting a little ahead of myself but you know God allows things for his plans and his purposes and if you've ever read the book of Job you know it's not our place to know it so we may not ever know why he chose to allow this but what we do know is that this was an unsanctioned being and they had to be destroyed and we have two instances I can think of in the Bible where somebody explicitly disobeyed and the price was severe both times the first time death the second time the loss of a kingdom 
excuse me, I need to get some water. Sorry about that. Talking is uh, thirsty work. So we have there Saul loses his kingdom. I actually do want to go down real quick and read Saul's repentance. I say that with quotations because, um, you know, it's a little late to repent after your judgment has been given. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if there's anybody out there who hasn't repented yet, there's what what are you waiting for um we're all sinners we all fall short but we're none of us are guaranteed tomorrow and once judgment comes it's too late if you have not accepted jesus christ as your savior please repent of your sins believe on jesus that he is the virgin born son of god that died for your sins pick up a bible Read the doctrine of Christ and the commandments of God and follow in the ways of Jesus Christ. Salvation is easy. The road to sanctification won't always be easy, but you will always have Jesus Christ there to walk with you. You will have the Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you into all truth and remind you of what Jesus says. So please, if you have not repented, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Please do so right now. Verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people. See, he's still putting it on the people. And obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me, that I may worship with the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Next, we're going to jump over a couple of chapters, and we're going to read all of chapter 17. Just because I want to show the contrast between Saul and David. Who replaced him as king over Israel. First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shachach. Which belongeth to Judah. And pitched between Shachach and Azekah. In Ephesdamim. Some of these are from really big words. Say that four times fast. Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and sent the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. <clears throat> now, there actually is some debate as to how tall that is, but a lot of these, in my opinion, what are sellout scholars trying to look good to the secular world, Goliath was definitely taller than seven feet. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I don't understand why. I mean, 
people can say they believe in a, vir a virgin-born son of God, but for some reason can't believe in a giant. I mean, none of this stuff is exactly, you know, the easiest to explain, explain scientifically, but that's just how great our God is. If our God can speak the world into existence, and, you know, I mean... I mean, literally, if, if if that can happen, anything is possible. And yes, God did allow these humongous people. I mean, think about it. If you have an angelic being that's not exactly known for being strictly human and can shift its forms, whether from spiritual to physical and vice versa, pretty sure if you mix that with human DNA, you're not going to be bound to the standard heights of a human. Anyway, I digress. Verse 5, And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That is extremely heavy. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, once again extremely heavy. And, a bearing, and one bearing his shield went before him, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are ye come out to set your battles in array? Am I not a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and the Israelites heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. And greatly afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Benjamin Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse and went and followed Saul to battle. And the name of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn. And next unto him Amenadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and turned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening, presenting himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses, and unto the captain of their thousands. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they, and all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, and left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench. As the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle, for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array 
army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up, they came up and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich with him great, en enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. We're going to skip down to verse 32 for time. Actually, we're going to skip down to verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put, put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook. I've heard some interesting theories as to why that is he had five. Um, one of the theories being that apparently it was well known that Goliath had brothers. Um, it's also well known that if you look around, um, read the scriptures. Um, they uh, these these pagans, these uh, Nephilim, uh, were known for having what is called ring lords. And what they would do is they would set up like five cities in a ring. You see it uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah. You see it with the Philistines. Like any time the Philistine. Um, nations are mentioned. There's always like four other places named with them. You look in Joshua when they fought the Amorites. There were five. Um, so there was five stones either for Goliath and his brothers or um, either for the five giants that would fight for these five cities. It's uh, really, really interesting stuff. It really helps you, um, uh, whichever, whichever it may be, it uh, really helps you understand um, exactly what was going on in that region. And he took his staff and um, and five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had even in a scrip and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine and the Philistine came out uh, came on and drew near unto David and the man bare his shield went before him and when the Philistine looked about and saw David he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And David, and the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest out to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. Yehovah Savaot is how you say that in Hebrew. It's just I'd look for any excuse I can to to say some some things in Hebrew just because it's a beautiful language. Um, the Lord of Hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, 
and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Alright, so, and I think all of us know this story from here on out. David, of course, throws the stone, hits the giant in the head, and then removes his head. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Ah, I love that story. It's one of my favorites. Always has been since I was a little kid in Sunday school, but now, definitely now, so much more. All right, that was First Samuel chapter 17. Um, let me click up OBS so I can see where we are at in our recording. Yeah, so that's 36 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. I was actually supposed to go. Um, I'm going to have to keep going. This is going to be a long one, guys. Um, so let's go back over here. Um, we're going to go... Next to Second Samuel, skip ahead a little bit. Back that down a little bit. Go to Second Samuel, chapter twenty-one. I'm going to start in verse fifteen. I'm telling you, the Bible is so much better than they make it out to be, especially in these seeker-friendly churches. I'm honestly ashamed that I was ever in one because I don't know seeker friendly the seeker friendly movement is a joke it really is and if you're in the seeker friendly movement please don't be offended um but I'm telling you they're they're not feeding you in there and a lot of people are starving to death and don't even realize it the Bible's so much better than they make it out to be in these modern churches it's it's really sad is what it is. Second Samuel chapter twenty one starting Whoa in verse fifteen. We're gonna go through verse twenty two, which is to the end of the chapter. Moreover the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. Excuse me. And Ish, Ishbibinob, that is a cool name, which was of the sons of the giant, of the giant. Isn't that interesting? The weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. And he, being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us into battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the, Hu the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. So we have a second son of the giant. And there was again in a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jarer, 
Jara Oregum, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. The staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was a battle in Gath. And there was yet a battle in Gath. And there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he was also born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shemaiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So there you have it. Goliath had four brothers. Of course, Goliath, um, that's at least the consensus. Um, Goliath and these other four being the uh, sons of the giant. So, interesting thing about the uh, six fingers and the six toes, if you are not familiar with it, apparently, um, over in Kandahar, during the war in Iraq, the United States Army, at least I think it was the Army, it was some sort of armed forces division of the United States, was patrolling, and the story goes, you can find this from both Steve Quayle, um, has reported on it, as well as L.A. Marzulli, I believe in Watchers 10, which was a few years back. I've actually never seen Watchers 10. Not the whole thing. I have seen clips of it. And I've seen several interviews that L.A. Marzulli has done on it. As well as other interviews on this Kandahar giant. Six fingers, six toes, at least 12 feet tall. And uh, yeah, did a uh, number on our armed forces over there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so that is a, uh, that's really, really, really interesting. Um, fascinating story. You can actually find an interview with L.A. Marzulli over at Now You See TV on YouTube where they kind of go into some of the detail about it. Really, really interesting interview, um, especially if you're into the Nephilim and Giants. I highly recommend it. So you can check that out, Now You See TV. You can probably just type in Now You See TV L.A. Marzulli and it'll probably come up. If not, you can head to their page and you'll definitely find it under their YouTube channel. So go check that out. Alright, moving on. The righteous seed returns from Babylon and the assimilation of the holy seed through the priest line with the Nephilim tribe. So the first thing we're going to do is head over to Ezra chapter 2. Come back up here. Look, I've got a buzzing in my ear from this microphone. I think my cord's going bad. If you watch this and can hear that, please let me know in the comments. That way I can go ahead and get this fixed and it's not irritating you guys. Let's see. Ezra, chapter 9. No, not chapter 10. Chapter 9. All right, now, when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the land, doing according to their abominations, even to, this is the important part, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Now, if you know anything about those names, those are the names 
that we have been discussing this whole time. Those are the people of the land, right? The Canaanites go in, utterly destroy them. Once again, this is after the Babylonian exile, and we see that they are still a scourge to the people. Continuing on in verse in uh, verse two, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, have the princes and rulers. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. And this is Ezra talking. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off my hair of my head and of my beard and sat down, astonished. Mm. So there you have, after the Babylonian conquest, you have the children of Israel coming back and actually copulating with these people and mingling the holy separated seed of the children of Israel with the spiritual children, at least, of the devil and the physical children of his minions. That's a shame. Nehemiah chapter 7, starting in verse 6. It's going to be a long one too, guys. Just going to go ahead and warn you. We're going 6 through 65. Goodness gracious. There we go. These are the children of the province that went up out of captivity of those that had been carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah every one unto his city who came with Zerubbabel, Joshua, that's uh, Joshua, the high priest, um, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvi, Nahum, Bana, the number I say of the men of Israel was this, the children of Parash, two thousand and hundred and seventy-two. Now this is going to be to let you know the people that came back and mingled. The children of Shephatiah, three hundred and seventy-two. The children of Ara, six hundred and fifty-two. The children of Pahath Moab. Of the children of Joshua and Joab, 2,818, and the children of Elam, 1,254. The children of Zatu, 845. The children of Zakai, 703 score. The children of Banui, 648. The children of Baibai, 628. The children of Asgad, 200,000. So we have several. You know, we keep going. Let you guys read over that real quick. For the sake of time, I'm going to keep keep going down. There's the Levites, the Nethanim, the Nethanims of Solomon's servants. And you have all of that, but there was, but it was not found. Therefore, were they as polluted from the priesthood? Now, isn't that interesting? Let's start back up here in verse sixty-three. And of the priests, the children of Habiah, the children of Kaz, the children of Barzillai, which took of the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite to wife, and was called after their name. 
These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore were they as polluted put from the priesthood. And Tirshatha said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim. So interesting, we talk about some pol some polluting there as well. Um, apparently, I forgot a chapter over in Ezra about chapter 2, but I think that was... Um, I'll go back and read that real quick because I do have that in my notes. I went right to the good stuff, apparently. Yeah, this is the return of the people, so it's supposed to be the uh, parallel with... Um, the one from Nehemiah so but I think I think you get the point on that um, now you also have an assimilation of the Edomaean proselytes unto Judah during the intertestamental period um, and that be, they became the Pharisees another reason why Jesus spoke with that I mean that is another reason why Jesus spoke in parables you have uh you can find this information in the paper, uh, or at least in the introduction of the rise of the Edomaeans, ethnicity and politics in Herod's Judea, the introduction that I am referring to, um, and that is by Adam Coleman Marshak. I do have that in my, in my files here, and I'm going to open that up, recent files. Um, give me just a second, guys. Is that it? No, that is not it. Sorry, I almost opened another episode of my podcast by accident. Hold on, give me just a second. Sorry guys, I had all this pulled up and I um accidentally exited out of it or something. That's not it. So let's see. I think that's because I'm in the wrong app. Yeah, guys, I'm not going to be able to find that, but you can easily find that online. I found it and read over it. It is extremely interesting, and I really did want to share it with you because it really fits right into what we're talking about here. Um, that is, again, the rise of the Edomaeans' ethnicity and politics in Herod's Judea. The introduction is the what I had read um, by Adam, Adam Coleman Marshak. Um, I do think I'm going to end this here, um, and 
Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, right after this, we will be going into the Nephilim in the last days. Uh, it's part four, last days, giants, and the demonic ties of the pre-trib rapture. So stay tuned. You're going to want to see that if you're watching this on YouTube. Unfortunately, you will have to wait a week. However, um, if you come in Saturday, I will have an audio-visualized version of the full podcast up. You can listen to that. Or you can follow our podcast on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. Just go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Course Correction Radio, follow us there, subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss an episode. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, throw a like on this if you did like it. Hit the subscribe button and make sure you hit the notification bell so you will be notified when we put up new content. We do try to put up videos like this every single week if possible. Thank you so much for your time, and I will see you in the next installment of Course Correction Radio. Take care, guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope it was helpful. Um, I Like I said, I've said in the past, I know these aren't things the church typically talks about. So if there are um, any clarifications, any questions you may have, um, please feel free to email me, coursecorrectionth at gmail.com. After this, this is actually where we're going to stop this for a while. Um, we're going to move on to some other things that are um, a little pressing in the times we're living in. Um, just, I had, unfortunately, I have had a corruption in the file for the next part in this. And as soon as I get that fixed, hopefully in the future when the time is right, we'll go over that. Uh, but next time we're actually going to talk about some of the things that leaders in the church are pushing for because I think it's important that each and every one of us know exactly what's going on. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope this has been a blessing to you and I look forward to sharing um, thoughts and insights with you more in the future. Take care and have a wonderful night or day whenever you're listening. But whatever it is, I hope it's wonderful. <laughs>